Thank you for downloading this Mass Device Radio podcast. In this 2011 interview, recorded at the first annual Mass Device Big 100 East, we speak with Covidian CEO Joe Almeida just two weeks after he took over the corner office at the medical device company. Thank you for listening to this Mass Device Radio podcast. Now we're going to move on to the featured presentation of our evening. And I'd like to have our guest of honor, Joe Almeida, come up and join me. Joe was named President Chief Executive Officer of Covidian, a $10 billion global healthcare products company on July 1st. Prior to this, Mr. Almeida was President of the Medical Devices segment, where he oversaw the surgical devices, energy-based devices, respiratory monitoring solutions, vascular therapies, as well as business units in Japan, Asia, Canada, and Latin America. These businesses accounted for about two-thirds of the company's total annual revenues and about three-quarters of its operating profit. He's, that's pretty good stuff. He's our guest of honor tonight, and I'm pleased to have him with us in one of his first public appearances as CEO. So please give a warm round of applause. Thank you, Brian. Pretty bright man. So, <laughs> that was okay with Dr. Shuren. So, two weeks in the office. It's a $10 billion global company. We all want to know what's the office like? Actually, I didn't move to my new office yet because I had about a million dollar renovation to the office to just make sure. I'm kidding. <laughs> they had to make a bust, right? No, 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 no. <clears throat> It's just the same thing, man. It's just the same thing. It's, uh, um, it, it has a couch, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. No. No couches. Just me on a couch. No, no couches. <laughs> just a conference room table. Uh, or very um, um, Spartan, a Covidian, uh, in terms of uh, corporate offices and things like that. Here we are in Mansfield, and, and um, we have two size offices and cubicles. That's it. And the CEO's office is a little bigger, but that's pretty much it. So the man you're replacing, Rich Melio, he's almost synonymous with Covidian. He was there when you spun out from Tyco Healthcare. He was helped form Tyco Healthcare. He practically founded the company here. What, what piece of advice did he give you when you handed, handed you over the keys? Uh, Rich was with the company for 20 years. I worked for him for about 10. He taught me many things. One of them, we have big hangers downstairs when we come in the company, and that were the ego goals. Big egos don't have a place in business. If you want to really be successful, this is the first thing. Second, don't forget what got you here. Although all of us, or most of us, know Marshall Goldsmith, and he wrote a book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There, but <laughs> which I read. Just It's important to remember what made you successful. Don't forget that, and don't become a different person who, that, who you were. So uh, this is one of many things that he told me. On, on one of his last conference calls, he said, don't expect many major changes under an Almeida administration. Do you feel any pressure to put your, your own personal stamp on the company? Or do you feel as if, and he, oh, to be fair, he said that you had been instrumental in implementing a lot of that strategy. Yeah, I think strategy is something that is evolving. Everything is about the execution. You do, you do spend time in the strategy, but don't, don't ever think that the job of a senior executive is just a strategy, because it is not. You need to make sure that people are executing, have the right leadership underneath you. I was part of the, the spun-off from Tyco. I worked very closely with Rich and our senior management team. 
putting together what the strategy is today, you know, what COVID is today. So I don't expect major changes where we're going, but you know, a company is dynamic and we're gonna continue to strive to deliver total shareholder value. And to do that, you've gotta make changes, but those changes are planned and, and, and if Rich was with us, he would be making those changes anyway. So since the spin-out from Tyco, Covidian has been very, very active in branding <clears throat> itself. So now that we all know who Covidian is, can you tell me what you think the Covidian brand stands for? Covidian has, to our customers, is a collaborator company, is a company that is engaged in developing innovations that primarily provide better clinical outcomes, economical value to our customers. For our employees, the value proposition is we're accountable to what we do. We are a diverse company. We're a company that believes in compassion. So Covidian as a brand has been established in the last four years. What the company is, what the culture is, what we represent to our customers has evolved and became very much focused on delivery of clinical solutions economically viable to our patients. And is it a medical device company? Covidian is a medical device company that has a pharmaceutical division. We have about $2 billion of our $11 billion is pharmaceutical business, controlled substances, and active ingredients. So we manage the business appropriately. So let's go through some of those strategic priorities you've laid out. And you mentioned them again on that conference call. You said, number one, there's going to be ex aggressive expansion into emerging markets. Number two, you said that the company would use innovation to deliver both clinical and economic results and that you would continue to look for cost synergies and ways to control costs. Let's look at those, start with the, the later two, because I think it's, it's interesting that you look at a company your size, the size of your company, how do you balance the desire to innovate versus the need to deliver growth to your shareholders? I think Covidian has done this. You know, we, we launched a significant amount of new products in the last four years. Also, we delivered significant growth to, to the bottom line. Our gross margin has grown enormously since we went public. We probably had, amongst our peers, probably the largest growth in gross margin. So the innovation going forward need to be broadened a little bit. Innovation is not about product leadership only. It's ability to deliver the clinical advantage, the clinical outcomes, improve those outcomes, so people can find a value in your product, and economically, you've got to be able to deliver that to the system. So when we produce electrosurgical devices, and we're sealing seven millimeter vessels, and, and there's a hysterectomy that is being performed, if using one of our products, you'll save about 25 to 30 minutes in surgery. So when we talk about innovation, it's not delivering the, ne the next gadget. Don't ever think that we're after innovation for the sake of innovation. We deliver the innovation with a clinical value, economical value. Broaden the concept is innovation also in terms of services. Make sure that we deliver to our customers what they need, to our patients, the economical value as well as the clinical value that they want. And when it comes about balancing cost, who doesn't have that responsibility? You want to be in the top quartile of total shareholder value so your shareholders are happy, for them to be happy, your customers need to be happy. You also need to do it effectively. Organization efficiency is key for any company. It's not just about spending, 
and open the coffers to R&D is the efficiency of R&D, is the efficiency of the back office, efficiency of the factories. Do you feel like in the, in the current economic climate the, there's more pressure to deliver growth and shrinking top lines or more, do you feel more pressure to deliver cost control measures? The growth of, of the industry, pro, the profile has been altered slightly lately because the economic crisis. The ability to grow above market what distinguishes one company to another company. And the, the ability to do that is to innovate and deliver what your customers and your patients want. If you can do that, you'll be successful. Now, there's efficient ways of doing it. Covidian used to spend less than 2% in R&D when we used to be Tyco Healthcare. We're spending about 4.3, 4.5%. We doubled the amount of spending we became very efficient in how we spend money with R&D. So I don't expect compromises. So I expect continues that the company will grow slightly above peers, above market, but will continue to deliver the shareholder value at the bottom line. Obviously, one of those ways to grow top line is, is to be more aggressive in the emerging markets. Given everything that all the experience you've had, <clears throat> in developing the international business. What do you think was the most important lesson that you learned and, and what gives you an advantage as the top man at Covidian to grow yourself internationally with, I mean, everybody is going, everybody is saying we have to grow more aggressively into international or in particular emerging markets. You're gonna fail inevitably, everybody does. When you go to emerging markets, you're always gonna try many things. So fail and fail fast and learn from it. And don't give up because the road is littered by, by companies that didn't think there is enough there. If you think about the middle class in this country and think about the next 20 to 30 years, the middle class that is ascending in Brazil, in China, in India, in Russia, middle class is the consumption of equal consumption of healthcare. Everybody needs to get better, everybody wants to get better. So if you think about the lessons that I've learned is don't go for just your top-tier hospitals that can pay for global products in those regions. Covidian is putting three R&D centers, one in India, one in Singapore, one in China. We also are planning to develop products designed for those markets to suit those markets. So we're not there trying to tackle just the most expensive part of the market. Because if you go to China, the tier two is where the, object, the, the, the opportunities are. So be local, have a local face, and never forget the ethical business is the only way of doing business. Successful companies will be, the most successful companies will be doing business ethically. Always remember that. You're good. <laughs> Thank you. Did our communications ask you to that? <laughs> Let's talk about, let's do some personal questions here. What's the worst mistake you made in your career? And what'd you learn from it? Oh, <laughs> you guys have, bring some pizza, we're gonna be here for a while. <laughs> I made several mistakes, and someone's worse than others, but one thing that's a common thread is if you, you have a, once you get more experience, you have your gut feel, you have your instincts. And usually, when you don't listen to your instincts, and you go down a path that you're telling yourself, this is not right. Usually there's a mistake at the end because you've seen enough, you've seen a lot. Although listening to your people is a great thing, you've got to listen to yourself as well. And sometimes you get caught 
on situations where, you know, you're new in a job, you just took over a job, like me, and then you second-guess yourself. You've got to trust your, your, your instincts, and what got you here is a lot of that. So I made a, made a mistake. We went into a business line about four years ago. We thought it was the right thing to do. I knew it because I worked in that business before, that kind of business with the, was the sports medicine, and I knew that was not the right approach. But I thought that we, we should be listening to the folks, and I didn't listen to myself, and probably was not very successful. It's not the worst mistake, but it's many, many mistakes that, like that that I made in my life that I think I learned from. So trust yourself, get your instincts in order, but listen to your people too. Let's talk about the best piece of advice you've ever gotten in your professional career, and we can go all the way back to your first job. Is there any sort of guiding principle that you were told that you have kept with you this whole time? I spoke about Rich. Rich gave me some absolutely phenomenal advice. But I go back my days in Brazil. My dad is an anesthesiologist down in Sao Paulo. He put himself through medical school, and, and I always unspoken advice. Instead of somebody coming to you and giving you the advice, I always took the unspoken advice from my dad. And the way I saw him working, his ethical behavior, his dedication to the job, the dedication to the family, when I actually think back, that was probably the biggest piece of advice I ever got and was never spoken to me, never came to me and said, you've got to do this, you look at this. My dad was not that kind of a person. But just observing him, and, and he's here visiting from Brazil, and I just, uh, I just had an opportunity to tell him that. You know, he did give me the biggest gifts ever, ever, the unspoken advice. When you started at Covidian, did you, did you start out with the goal to someday become CEO of the company? No. I'm not the, the, the kind of person who has in his or her wallet, you know, you take out, this, this is my career plan. Every two years, I need to make that move. If you're like that, God bless you. I'm not. So uh, my, biggest, my biggest dream was to become vice president of operations. I'm a manufacturing person. I was, uh, I'm, I'm an engineer, I'm a mechanical engineer. When I worked for J&J, I was an engineering manager. I worked for Acufax. I was a manufacturing manager. And for Kendall, the predecessor of Covidian, I was an engineering manager. So I said, man, when I have about 10 factories reporting to me, and I'm able to go there and make some changes and put some just-in-time systems in and set up production, I thought that was the best thing ever. No, I never thought I was going to make it to where I made. But I'm happy. I will not disappoint it. <laughs> so your dream was to become vice president of operations? That was my so dream. What did you play with as a child? <laughs> Actually, when, when I was a child, I wanted to become a, a, a naval officer. So my, my whole family in Brazil is from the military. So I, I thought that was, that was the path. Well, congratulations on reaching your dream. I guess. <laughs> Thanks. And surpassing it. Let's talk about your peers. Who do you look up to outside of Covidian? There are several great CEOs and, and, and COOs and CFOs and all the C-suite. There's a great deal of great people working in the industry today. And I think I don't, have a, I don't have a specific person, but I have a significant amount of admiration for CEOs of our industry that I meet when I'm at the Advamed board meeting every quarter. Some great people, you see them making their companies more valuable, making their companies shine and, and employees are happy. So those are the folks that I look after. They inspire me. Anyone in particular? Or? The folks that, no, people outside the industry that I, I really admire, you know, Bossity, 
read his books and dying to meet him. Jack Welsh is another one. Some stuff that Carlos Goshen from Nissan did in Japan, you know, extraordinary, not because he you know, was born down the same neck of the woods I was born, but because he, he came in as a Nissan executive, not a Nissan, a, a Renault executive into Japan, tend to be that medical device companies are narrow, more in terms of size. I look usually uh, no, at other companies and take advice and, and examples from everybody. Let's think about what the next generation of MedTech CEOs, if, if you had to give them some advice, what, what would advice would it be and, and what are the mistakes they can avoid making? You don't get to become a CEO or, or any senior position in any company by just doing yourself everything. You, you can't be the only good person doing everything. As a matter of fact, you should be amongst the group of people who work with you, somebody who has significant amount of a strong individuals around you that make you successful. So any generation of CEO, what makes you successful are the folks, the people who you bring with you, the people who you promote, the people who you hire, how you train them, how they understand the leadership skills that make people successful. So those are timeless and will always be there. No matter what size company, no matter how big the company is, you're always gonna have the highly talented group of people who make you successful. I think another skill, couple of skills that I think will be very important in the future, adaptability. Be able to think fast, make fast decisions, be able to learn from your mistakes, and fast forward the next step and move on. Because like Dr. Shuren just spoke to us, we all have significant amount of challenges, not only in the, in the US, we talk about him today, he was here, but significant amount of challenges outside the US, price controls in China, barriers of entries in Brazil, everywhere. So if you, our executives don't have adaptability and entrepreneurship will be very difficult to survive in the future. We don't talk about ethics and integrity, those are table stakes drive for results, accountability. Those are, those are things that you've got to have it. But if you have to take two things that I believe is the next generation of leaders is the ability to be adaptable and to be entrepreneur. Talking about outside influences, do you think we're concentrating too much on, on outside influences too much? Do you think we're hyper-focusing on the FDA and changes to the payment structures of healthcare? Are you confident right now in the in the future of the market? Uh, I think uh, healthcare is a great place to be. Uh, I think the demographics are with us. I think that the ability to continue to innovate and deliver on clinical outcomes and, and economic outcomes is all great things. I would say that there's significant challenges ahead of the industry when it comes to regulatory challenges and also reimbursement challenges. And I think if we don't have the right agenda in front of our lawmakers, not only in the US, but across the globe. You have challenges in the EU right now with the recast of the, the medical device laws. If we are not in the right places influencing the lawmakers and explaining to them the importance of our industry, who we are, and how much we do for the human beings across the globe, how much this industry has done I think we're gonna lose the battle. So we've gotta press forward. And absolutely, we, we are spread very thin, 
Evermed has significant amount of commitments in the U.S. and outside the U.S. I'm the chairman of the International Committee, and we are in every front. We will never give up because what we do is saving lives. What we do, we bring miracles to bear. So we will always be there and no matter what.